Media Bistro's Morning Media Menu. I'm Jason Bogue, the editor of Media Bistro's publishing blog, Galley Cat, and your host for the next 10 minutes. Also joined by my partner in crime, agencies by editor Matt Van Hoven. Morning, Matt. Good morning. I'm pretty excited about our guest today. I've been reading this yes. blogger since, I, I don't know, since there were blogs, basically. Um, and uh, his novels are on my bookshelf. Corey Doctorow, the editor of, co-editor of Boing Boing, a columnist for multiple publications, including The Guardian and Locus. Uh, most recently, the author of For the Win. He also wrote Little Brother and Makers. Good morning, Corey. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're pretty excited to have you on. Um, why don't you just introduce our readers to your book? It just came out last week. Uh, just kind of give the short rundown of the book, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So um, it's a book about gold farming, which is a very odd practice. It's, what, it's, it's um, a term that describes what happens when people do repetitive tasks in video games in order to amass virtual wealth, you know, gold and, gold and swords and things, that is then sold on to players who are either um, – less patient or lazier than, hmm. than the people who are doing the farming. Most of the farmers are in poor countries, and most of the customers are in rich countries. There's about 400,000 people who do this for a living. And For the Win is a young adult novel about what happens when the gold farmers form a trade union. They use the video games to organize each other um, under the noses of their bosses. And because all of the workers everywhere in the world are in the same games, um, they can form a, a truly global union almost overnight. And they call it the industrial workers of the World Wide Web. I think that's such a fascinating idea. Do you? What do you think? Is there a place for unions? I mean, your book makes a very believable argument. Do you think there's a place for for unions, both in gold farming and then also in other places like blogs and writers and things like that? On the well, <clears throat> I guess the, the the thing that that unions do is something that we need a place for, and the thing that unions do is attempt to uh, rebalance the negotiating differential between employers and workers. Because when a worker goes to their boss and says, I would like to cease being maimed by your machinery, can we upgrade the safety equipment around here? Uh, as an individual worker, the only thing that makes the boss pay attention is her conscience. And historically, that hasn't been a really good, uh, reliable source of improvements in working conditions. So workers getting together and negotiating collectively have been the source of every substantial improvement in workplace life since, I guess, the, the turn of the 20th century. And so, uh, you know, if you like weekends and you're glad that your children aren't mangled in factories and you are happy to work an eight-hour day, thank the union movement. So we have lots of things right now where people get together collectively to negotiate better deals. No one says Costco is socialism because customers get together and demand better prices through bulk buying uh, and negotiate collectively. Um, Nobody, nobody yells at, at uh, Eiffel, the Electronic Library Association, that gets together lots of libraries and uh, demands better deals from Elsevier for their digital collections. So I think that it, it's, it's absolutely the case that workers getting together and negotiating collectively is uh, something that, that has to take place if we're going to end up with, with livable workplaces. Has the trade union movement done some wrong things and bad things? Absolutely. This book was actually inspired by what I think of as a, as a real failure in trade unionism, which is when NAFTA sent auto jobs to Mexico, uh, trade unionists in Michigan and elsewhere in the Rust Belt decided that the problem was Mexicans, not Ford. And they, um, they, the, the response was just racism. I mean, if you drove around Michigan in that time, you would see these, these openly racist bumper stickers and, and slogans. Now, they're, they're you know, spiritual forebears. When, when their jobs moved to a different part of the state or when they brought in a different workforce, you know, when they fired the Irish and hired the Germans to get rid of the union, they, they just unionized the next workforce. They realized that, that this was about workers and capital, not about 
um, not about what color you were or where you were from. And, and so I think that the union movement has made lots of mistakes, but that doesn't mean that we need to get rid of it, and it doesn't mean that we have something better lurking in the shadows to improve the, the lives of workers. Well, I think the the book and unions probably face the same problem. How do you reach these people in virtual communities, places that are kind of disparate? Um, do you have advice for both uh, writers and for uh, people trying to organize among these communities? Well, organizing gold farmers, actually, I think that's easy. I mean, it's certainly a lot easier than, than finding, especially since gold farms um, – you know, there, there are lots of different ways that, that gold farms are run, but among them are tiny little shacks in the pro- rural provinces of China. Um, physically moving yourself to those places to talk to those workers is hard. Finding them in the video game and talking to them may be difficult, but it's relatively much simpler. Um, in terms of reaching people with the book, you know, I, I find that, 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 that there's a really nice kind of one-two punch here. My, my publisher does all the traditional publisher things. You're, you're speaking to me at 6.15 in the morning in a hotel room in San Francisco, and I'm about to go and do four <laughs> school visits um, uh, on my book tour. But I also do something, which is I make the books available as free downloads uh, under a Creative Commons license that encourages my readers to share them and to remix them, provided that they're doing so non-commercially. And what that means is that a reader who loves the book, who knows another reader who'd love the book, can put the book into that reader's hands. Uh, And that works really well. Uh, As Tim O'Reilly says, the problem for most writers isn't piracy, it's obscurity. And, you know, it may be hard to monetize fame, but it's impossible to monetize obscurity. How has the response to the free download been uh, so far? I mean, it's only been a week, but uh, what what sort of uh, response do you see? Oh, well, you know, people love it. People have always loved it. I've been doing this since 2003, and every time there's just a rush, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads in just a few days, oh, wow. and, um, and people uh, um, go crazy for it. They share it with their friends. You start to see the thing that I love is very quickly, if, if you do what I do, which is the writerly obnoxious thing of following yourself through Google searches and so on, <laughs> what you start to see really, really quickly is, I never heard of this doctor or guy, but my friend sent me a link to this. Right, over and over again, I see that through my feeds, and that's the thing that makes me really excited because that, for me, is the story of of finding new readers who'll be readers for life. I mean, you know, that all the writers that I truly love, who every book that they write, I'll, I'll, I'll buy. You know, I'd buy their shopping lists. For the most part, I didn't buy their, the first book of theirs that I got. So those writers are the writers that you discover by a librarian giving you the book, by a friend p- pressing it into your hands and saying you know, go and read this. It changed my life. It's going to change yours. And so I want to be that guy. I want to be that that book that gets pressed into other people's hands that makes fans for life. And it's working really well. Every tour stop I go to, I find people who've done amazing things with my books. Um, uh, In Portland, someone had printed out a copy of my last book, Makers, and redesigned the interiors. Uh, Makers is all about inventors. And he'd filled the interiors, the margins, with beautiful woodcut um, patent drawings. And it was just breathtaking. And it was an addition of one. Actually, it was an addition of two. He made one for himself, and he made one for me. I've got it in my suitcase. And it wow. was just, it made me as happy as anything. Wow, wow. that's really cool. Uh, Corey, this is Matt Van Hoven here. I just want to talk for a second about Boing Boing. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been reading it for, ye- for well, I don't know how long, a long time. And uh, uh, for some of our readers, they might not know exactly what it is. So give us a brief uh, intro there. <laughs> yeah, so Boing Boing is a, is a widely read blog about... Um, uh, about culture and technology and stuff that's interesting. And the, the four uh, found, uh, uh, co-owners are uh, all ex-Wired writers. We all met through that kind of circle. Mark Fraunfelder and his wife, Carla Sinclair, founded it as a print magazine in the 80s, and I actually used to sell it when I worked in a bookstore. 
Um, and we started, Mark started blogging in 2000, and I came in a little later, and then we added David Peskovitz and Shenny Jardin as well. And we have some freelance writers who write for us as well now, too. And we have several million readers, and we have um, we sell advertising, and we, we have a little store where we invite our readers who've made wonderful things to sell them to our other readers, and we, we curate that little store. And all told, it produces a pretty good living, and it also produces a really good platform for the things that I care about. It's a great way to talk about political causes. It's a great way to uh, direct attention to great things. One of the recurring stories we hear about Boing Boing from our readers is, you wrote about this movie I made and it got me into grad school or it got me a job at this effects house. Or you wrote about this invention I made and now I make it full-time. I got to quit my day job. So that's a really nice thing. I just thought I would read a couple quick headlines because I, I really do enjoy Boing Boing a lot. And I just, mm. Let me just uh, rifle off a couple here. The, head, the top headline right now is New York Times headline writer allergic to the word liar. Um, and the second one is uh, definitely my favorite for the day so far. Blowgun woman quote, I like to hear people say ouch, which is a story about a Stevens Point, Wisconsin woman who uh, was arrested after she was found uh, shooting people with a slingshot and a blowgun. Um, and she apparently had a bucket of rocks in her car that she was carrying around. So anyone that needs just like a break from your day and you want to see something interesting, Boing Boing is a really great site. I have one more question on that, though. Why is it a .net? What's the deal there? <laughs> oh, well, I guess the .com was taken. I think it was taken by a company that made um, bounce houses. Originally, now that's it's some uh, domain yeah. water, um, but you know the dot com is not that important. Um, it's it's not like so. First of all, when you go to the domain squatter, um, it's not like you you look at it and go, oh hey, they've really changed the editorial bent here. It's just <laughs> like crummy Google text ads, huh? I, I wonder what that's all about. You just go, oh yeah, I typed the wrong URL, and if you type boing boing into any search engine, you right. don't get. You know, boingboing.com. You get boingboing.net. So I've never really worried about it. Well, I'm a I'm a habitual uh, URL typer. So for me, it was always confusing. And but now it's always boingboing.net. So it doesn't take that long. That actually might do you some good down the road. It's like a little mm. branding thing. Mm. Whatever it's mm. that's from the advertiser in me coming out. So. <laughs> um, well, just about out of time. But I, I had one more question. I wanted to ask about the uh, the outreach for this book. Are you going to be actually going to the role-playing sites and some of the popular places to uh, pitch your book? How is that part going to work? I did an interview with Kotaku, and they did a really great inter- They did a really great review, uh, and we did send review copies to a whole ton of game sites. Um, I, and certainly, anytime there's like a press, I, to be honest, I don't know what's on my press schedule. I'm I'm taking it as the alcoholics do, one day at a time. I'm doing four school visits, four interviews in a bookstore at least at least every day. So I I, I know what's in my next three hours. I can't tell you what's on the rest of the tour. <laughs> Totally cool. Well, we're going to let you go back to it then. But uh, thanks again, uh, Corey Doctorow. The book is For the Win. Where can people find it online? And uh, yeah. Well, the easiest way to find it is on the first Corey in Google, so C-O-R-Y. Uh, but my, my URL is craphound.com. Cool. Thank so you I'm just so going to type in Corey right now, Corey Doctorow's craphound.com. You are not lying. You are the first. first yeah, I used to be the first seven Corys in Google, which was pretty awesome, but they've consolidated those results. <laughs> Indeed they have. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We will have to bring you back for your next book. It's always a pleasure. Um, uh, thanks, guys. It was really great. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, good morning. Good luck. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.